You're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 86, and it features a conversation with Meg Gamelow and Jingjing Yi about the Pediatric Scientific Working Group. Note that the 2021 Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop is currently accepting abstracts for roundtables and posters. Roundtable abstracts are due March 30th, and poster abstracts are due April 14th. No word yet whether this will be an in-person or virtual meeting, but we'll let you know as soon as we hear. As a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now let's start the show. Hi folks, our topic today is the Pediatric Drug Development Scientific Working Group of the ASA Biopharmaceutical Section. Today I'm talking with Meg Gamelow, Senior Director of Biostatistics at Pfizer, and Jingjing Yi. Senior Director and Head of Data Science and Operational Excellence in the Global Statistics and Data Science Department at Beijing. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, Richard, for inviting us. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Of course, let's start off learning a little bit about each of you. Uh, how did you start your journey in statistics? Meg, why don't we start with you? I actually graduated back in 2006 in Pittsburgh, and then after that, I started my journey at the FDA more than a year later. And that's really where I got involved with pediatric drug development, because I was actually in infectious diseases where, as you can imagine, most infectious diseases in adults and children are actually the same. And therefore, most drugs that are uh, developed in adults are actually the same drugs that are you know, developed in children. In fact, they are developed simultaneously. And then after that, that's that's the time that I moved to Eli Lilly back in 2016. And then most recently, um, I um, accepted a position at Pfizer in the inflammation and immunology, uh, leading the a group of statisticians for dermatology. Very good. And Jingjing, how about you? For me, the journey uh, at at a very young age, I think I have a pretty good sense of numbers, so I really enjoy like playing Sudoku type of games a lot. And then, so then that led to the uh, major in math um, in my undergraduate years. And then in 2002, uh, I went to U.S. for my graduate degree. And then at the time, working in the interdisciplinary field of computational statistics, it is the interface between statistics and computer science and to develop the machine al- learning algorithm and to process the uh, high-dimensional proteomics data. I think, you know, that experience actually is quite an eye-opening experience for me because first I learned that statistics coupled with computer can really achieve far greater things than just human alone. And also second, 
statistic is to make sense of the data uh, with the goal of helping patients to find a cure. And at the time, I'm also working with the um, uh, ovarian cancer um, data set. So then after my graduation with the PhD, um, I joined Pfizer and to working in the translational science area. And, uh, you know, majority of time focused on uh, oncology, drug discovery and translational science to the clinical development. And I spent about three plus years in Pfizer and moved to U.S. Food and Drug Administration and spent a close to 10 years there. So it is in the FDA that I work in the clinical trials, um, both in the uh, diagnostic devices area and the uh, drug side. So then, and also during that time, I became one of the two statistical representatives in FDA CEDAR, um, is, um, Pediatric Review Committee, is for short called uh, PERC, and also the Oncology Center of Excellence, OCE's Pediatric Review Subcommittee. So then both of those committee oversees all the operations in pediatric clinical trials in CEDAR. So then, and that's where I get a chance to be exposed to uh, more clinical development in pediatrics, um, you know, inside oncology and also outside of that. Um, so I joined Beijing last January, and now I'm leading a team of data science and operational excellence in Beijing. Very good. And, and can you tell us a little bit more about your current roles, Jingjing? How about you tell us a little bit more about what you do at Beijing? My group actually in Beijing is a new group. It was established about a year ago and to work with the multidisciplinary team to drive and support innovations in areas, uh, including the statistical methodology development for clinical trials or advanced visual analytics to support preclinical uh, clinical trial or post-marketing studies or manufacturers, and also improve the operational efficiency within our organization. So we have several, many interesting projects, I would say, in, you know, some of them including like target patient populations more effectively in a drug discovery and development, and improve the safety and risk monitoring of the patients and also the clinical trials and also gaining improved insight into marketing and sales performance of the drug, among many other things. Very good. And Meg, how about you? What, uh, what are you up to at Pfizer? So I am uh, in late-phase development. Uh, again, as I have said earlier, I'm in dermatology, which is a very exciting field currently. There are a lot of drugs that we are working on, uh, modern drugs, actually. Most of the Drugs uh, before that are being used in dermatology have been mainly on topical corticosteroids and cyclosporins. Um, this time, we are really developing uh, breakthrough medicines that will really help uh, people's lives. So it, it's an exciting time. And I cannot say so much more, but it's really just in late-phase development, doing the, the late-phase clinical trials, uh, pro planning the designs of the late-phase clinical trials, doing submissions, interactions with regulatory agencies, and, and, and the like. So it's, it's exciting. Well, very good. It sounds like you both have some very interesting work that you're involved with. And you're both members of the Pediatric Drug Development Scientific Working Group, uh, and there, there seems to be quite an interest in pediatric drug development. Uh, what, what's driving this activity and, and how are statisticians involved? 
there are actually uh, a few things. Uh, so one really is there have been many uh, regulations recently that are promoted uh, in the United States and in Europe where it encourages or it uh, requires or it incentivizes pediatric drug development. And again, um, this is, for example, in the United States, PREA, Pediatric Research uh, Equity Act, is the one that requires uh, drug development in children when that particular indication actually occurs in children. And there is an equivalent law that, it, that, that, that incentivizes uh, drug development. We call it Best Pharmaceuticals for Children's Act. Uh, and this one is actually the one that incentivizes the development of drugs in children. Uh, both of these have an, a counterpart law in, in Europe as well, which is the pediatric regulation, uh, both requiring and incentivizing the development of drugs in children for a, a condition that occurs in children or whenever a, a condition actually occurs in children. And so this really drives the, the whole development in children. And as you can actually see, there is really an exponential, or almost like an exponential growth in the number of clinical trials that are being done in children. Uh, you can just look at it, for example, in clinicaltrials.gov. It's it, it's really astonishing that you can see uh, how many clinical trials are there um, that are being done currently. So those are the things that are actually driving, uh, as I've said, the, the rise in the number of clinical trials in, in children. And, and that's why you have all of these things currently. And there's a lot of interest from among statisticians, being that statisticians are, are one of the primary drivers in developing all these clinical trial designs. I think, you know, Mike, I agree with you. I think, you know, um, most like you said, um, some of the legislative uh, requirement drives the um, the development in the pediatric drug development. And also, I think, you know, just from based on my previous experience from FDA, many of the trials wasn't really very well designed. It's more not on the priority list or like, you know, the, the, the in, uh, for, for the company that may not be in their best portfolio or like best commercial interest into that. So then many of the trial wasn't really uh, well designed. So I think the statisticians really sh um, can be the driver for uh, making improvement of the, the design and also making it more efficient. So I think, you know, that that's really is what, what I see here. And, and, and to add to that one as well, given that, you know, Jingjing already men mentioned about efficiency, there are a few things that are working against uh, doing clinical trials in children. One is mainly on the scientific part. There is very little that is known generally or, or how to even operate clinical trials in children. And the other one is on the ethical part. You are supposed to do trials in children only when it is really uh, necessary to answer a public health need. And what that implies is that you cannot do redundant trials. Uh, so if there is some information that you can borrow from adults, uh, or at least you can glean from adults, you cannot be creating a trial in children that is too much because one, it may not be able, you, you may not be able to finish it, or, and two, it, it may not be really necessary. And so what this actually implies is that you really need to be very efficient with your clinical trials, one, by either borrowing information, 
where we usually call it as extrapolation. Or, you know, you have to be very judicious about how you design it in such a way that it is uh, efficient, not only innovative, but also efficient. And for diseases that seek labeling in adults first, uh, what factors dictate when and, and if sponsors will seek uh, their pediatric indications? There can be several factors that drive this. Um, I think the first and foremost, like Meg just mentioned, there's the legislative requirements that are required to study um, the, uh, the, uh, the drug in children. And that's in U.S., there's the PREA, the Pediatric Research Equity Act, basically requires study in children if the indication can occur both in adults and children. And then the European Medicine um, Agency, EMA, also have similar requirement to include the result of study conducted in the pediatric population. And, you know, uh, one thing I want to point out is the, um, the case when in oncology, um, previously many of the, the indication or the drugs was exempted from the orphan designation uh, for studying in pediatrics. And recently, uh, there's a new act called RACE Act, the Research to Accelerate Cure and Equity Act that was implemented, uh, was came into force on August 18, 2020, and that's actually uh, required that the pediatrics uh, drugs uh, also need to be evaluated early um, when they have a, a molecular target that uh, is considered, and that can be also relevant to the uh, childhood cancer. And then if that's the case, um, the indication may not, we may, uh, or the drug you know, no longer can be exempted based on the open designation. So that's actually changed the um, development uh, requirement for the oncology drug. And the second factors I can think that's uh, to dictate is the mechanism of action. So that's, you know, uh, you know, I can co maybe comment on more in, on, in the oncology area, you know, because we're in the precision medicine area um, and era, and many of the drugs in oncology are developed based on specific molecular target, that's the target therapy. So based on the mechanism of action, um, if it works in adults, um, it's you know, likely also work in pediatrics. So that's the basically that's also the drivers that need to be studied in, in pediatrics. And then some other factors can be one, um, it depends on the degree of the activity of the drug alone. So if the drug has very good efficacy or has very high activity in, in, in adults, and it's likely going to have a higher proba probability to be also used in pediatric in practice. So therefore, the sponsor will likely to um, develop a pediatric study alongside to require the pediatric indications. And also other uh, factors can come into play, for example, like safety profile of the drugs and availability of the pediatric formulations. Those can be the uh, factors um, also played into the area. There are other companies, though, recently where if the drug is really targeting a mechanism that is primarily in children, uh, then, you know, they will develop it first for children, not even, not even staggering it or kind of like sequentially developing it from adults first and then children. They will develop it first in children. So, um, and it's not only in cancer. Uh, there are other indications where it, it can really start from children. So, and there's just varied factors, but the main the main driver really recently is on um, because of the legislations, as as Jing Jing has pointed out. 
Let's focus on uh, some of the specific areas where statisticians can be valuable and provide impact. Uh, what study design considerations are uh, important when involved in pediatrics? For example, like I think in FDA, there's the complex innovative designs, you know, um, that can be implemented, can be having a very uh, valuable and, and uh, providing impact in this pediatric development because many of the pediatric uh, small and um, you know, in, in, uh, eligible uh, patient populations and also has very few um, um, eligible treatment options. I think, you know, so some of the creative um, innovative designs could come into play and also many uh, drugs, uh, for example, like oncology, uh, initiated after the adult study. So there is adult study data so, uh, typically is already available. So how to best utilize that uh, will be very valuable to provide some insight into the pediatric. So then some of the master protocols, um, you know, can be um, also helpful if you, we can have a common screen platform for the molecular target to match patients. And, and also, uh, like I mentioned, if I, we have some uh, adult data that can be served as an external control and either it can be used as the um, uh, you know, borrowing or we can also have some of the supplement um, external control to the concurrent control if that's some possibility of the uh, designs that's uh, going to help for, uh, going to be help the pediatric development. There are actually a, a variety of designs that are actually being used in pediatric drug development and analytic methods as well. Um, but it really depends on, on the, the question. So, for example, if extrapolation is a valid strategy for developing a drug in children, extrapolation, what I mean by that is that being able to uh, transfer conclusions from adults to children when the disease progression as well as the response to intervention are actually similar between adults and children. So if extrapolation is something that is a viable strategy for a particular indication, then you can probably work with, for example, some of the Bayesian methodology that leverages information from adults into, towards children, some meta-analytic methods, uh, and so on. So uh, these are aggregative or I would say uh, methodologies in, you know, combining information from adults and children to be able to transport conclusions from adults to children uh, in terms of efficacy. So, yeah, there are a variety, as, as um, Jingjing has already mentioned, uh, on complex innovative designs, uh, other Bayesian designs, for example. The most recent one, the approval of Benlista, actually uh, uses some Bayesian components in the demonstration of effectiveness for the drug. And are there particular analysis methodologies that are used uh, primarily in pediatrics or are frequently within pediatrics? If we can exactly extrapolate the um, external information or like, you know, adult information to pediatrics, and then some of the uh, methodologies can be relevant, uh, for example, like um, the um, external controls or partial controls um, clinical trials um, for the basin borrowing from that. Some, um, any of those um, methodology and adaptive design would also be helpful. These may or may not be um, Bayesians, um, but if there is borrowing there, you know, Bayesian may be uh, more useful in that um, scenario. 
even if there is not uh, adult in, um, studies available, you know, that, for example, like those indication only occurs in the pediatrics, you know, some other similar considerations, you know, from older age groups um, can also be in, along the same line of thinking to have um, those methodologies like Bayesian adaptive designs, you know, um, implemented into the, um, the younger age group. And also in particularly, I, I've seen something, you know, in oncology areas, many of the sequential designs was actually implemented, um, you know, based, based on the earlier phase one, two studies. And if there's uh, no evidence of any response, then they do not need to proceed. So many of those, uh, including those uh, early fertility uh, methodologies can be helpful in that case. And to add to that, um, there are actually some, for example, it, it, it's, it's not only in, in efficacy, but also in safety, there are actually some unique analytical methods that are used in children. Um, one is in the standardized deviation scores, uh, for example, in the analysis of growth and maturation. The reason is that most of these children are actually growing, and so you really have to compare some of the changes in their development with respect to some standardized norms. So you cannot just average all of them, lump all uh, across age cohorts because you will not see anything. It's actually quite unique, you know, um, and, and, it's, and it's really something that's only used in children, not so much in adults. An extrapolation is effective in areas where adult patients are studied first. Uh, what about diseases that are primarily pediatric? Uh, such as cystic fibrosis, what attempts are made to limit the size of uh, these clinical trial populations? Extrapolation can still be used uh, even if you don't do a staggered development from adults to, let's say, adolescents. In, in some developments, actually, it can be from, from an older cohort, say adolescents, and then you, tra you, you use that information towards um, having a more efficient clinical trial in your children from, let's say, 6 to 12 years old and so on. So it's not necessarily that it has to start from adults. So I have not been involved in cystic fibrosis uh, drug development, but, uh, for example, in atopic dermatitis, I have seen some developments where the children's trial is borrowing information from the adolescent trial. Um, so that is possible. Uh, extrapolation can also happen from across indications that are actually quite similar. It doesn't have to be um, within one indication. So it could be um, similar indications uh, that you're kind of like making some inference from, from one indication to another or transport a conclusion from one indication to another. So yeah, the, it, extrapolation can still work that way. I definitely agree with Meg on that. I think in terms of like, I think, you know, uh, Richard, you your second question is um, what attempts are made to limit the size of the clinical trial population. Um, I think, you know, from based on the, um, the, the, um, the experience that we had, I think um, some of the attempts definitely needs to be um, put into place to make sure that children are not exposed to the drugs uh, with unknown activity or unknown safety profile. So certain type of efforts can be made, for example, having uh, very good preclinical studies. I think some of those maybe require more into the um, uh, 
PK studies, you know, to to uh, measure how the specific exposure uh, can be to pick the starting dose, and then you know whether or not and uh, some of the PKPD study in the preclinical model to make sure there is a correlation between the PD marker to the relevant clinical outcome, and also there can be utilizing a lot of the animal models or uh, a juvenile toxicity studies as much as possible to limit the um, the the, the um, PK pediatric um, patient to be exposed to those when the safety um, uh, profile is unknown. And also there's uh, more specific, this is to the pediatric tumor, um, you know, pediatric cancer um, area. Um, there are we can see certain trend in the preclinical research that's, um, you know, for the pediatric tumor model, because uh, many of the traditional um, adult studies, um, the, uh, they typically using some of the cancer cell lines to screen the activities, and those are not proving to be very useful or relevant in the pediatric space. So some of the in vivo models, you know, they actually develop just to using some patient-derived uh, xenograft models into the um, animal to trying to prove the uh, screening the drug in that way, so then they can limit certain, uh, they can limit the drug exposure to children. And, and also, um, you know, um, like I mentioned earlier, there can be considered designs that implementing the early fertility uh, with adaptive designs or Bayesian designs where it can terminate the study early if there are no activities uh, that seen so then they can limit also the exposure and size of the pediatric uh, patients in the trial. Right, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's really a lot of innovative designs that are being applied in pediatrics. I feel like it's, it's a much more fertile ground to actually look at these complex innovative designs and how they actually operate. Innovation actually flourishes in, in pediatric drug development more than I would say, uh, well, in terms of design and, uh, and uh, analytical methods, uh, more than in late-phase adult uh, clinical trials. Well, thanks for uh, all your comments about analyses and designs and, and how they're used in pediatrics. I, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit now about um, the, the scientific working group and, and, and ask first, what, what specific issues led you to form the, the pediatric scientific working group? I have mentioned earlier, there's just sheer demand. Um, and, and there's too many clinical trials in children that are being conducted recently uh, because of the legislations that require, encourage, and incentivize pediatric drug development. And, and that's really, um, that really created a huge interest. So uh, before I actually started uh, doing the, uh, or leading a small group of people uh, that are interested in Bayesian designs, and, and we kind of like group together and um, uh, just talk about how Bayesian designs can actually be much more useful in pediatric drug development, given the, the concept of extrapolation that's been used for a while. And, and that's really the one that, you know, kind of like started it all. And then I think a few years later, Jing Jing was the one who started, um, kind of like, you know, creating a proposal towards the American Statistical Association biopharmaceutical section to form a scientific working group. And uh, she actually approached me if, if I could, you know, join the group. That's really kind of like how it all started. I can't remember. I think it was 2018, Jing Jing, right? If I recall. Yes, somewhere around that. I'm to remember, time. yes. <laughs> but, I know, but I know that it was you or James Travis who 
who, who uh, wrote the proposal with the American Statistical Association and, uh, you know, eventually that, that, that led to the formation of the group. And, and since then, the, the group has really grown large. Again, uh, owing to the fact that there's a lot of people that are involved in pediatric drug development, uh, currently we probably have like over 50 members, and this is all spanning from academia, industry, and government. And from government, we even have people from EMEA, from Japan, from Health Canada, and from the United States. It's really kind of like a very diverse group um, where a lot of people are actually very interested in pediatric drug development. And I think there's probably some scientific or kind of like reason for that from a personal perspective. It's because, you know, at some point we are parents, at some point we are aunts and uncles, at some point, point we are grandparents to some child. Uh, and, and so pediatric drug development is really very close to our hearts. Most of the children are actually healthy, uh, and if seeing a sick child actually just kind of like I think it just breaks my heart. And and knowing for a fact that the lag time between pediatric drug development of pediatric labor from the time a drug is actually approved in adults is about eight or nine years. That's just you know for me it's kind of like uh, quite unacceptable. I think we need to cut that down a little bit. Yeah, thank you, Meg. I think, you know, um, I can maybe uh, just add a little bit from, like, the the um, the idea where um, at back in 2018 time period, when we actually approached Meg to put together a, a proposal for the pediatrics and TV working group. So I think at the time also within uh, the uh, FDA, Mark Roseman, uh, who is actually chairing the uh, the FDA side of the pediatric uh, right. working group inside, <laughs> yeah. So inside FDA, so then uh, he uh, and there's a basically um, there's a global also harmonization effort ongoing also as well because I think as pediatric drug development, uh, a pediatric typically is a small patient uh, population eligible for patients um, to to be eligible for the. Tr- uh, to the drug treatment. So then, you know, um, many of the feasibilities or, you know, challenges to conduct studies um, will, you know, require the study to be conducted globally, uh, internationally. So then there's, you know, for FDA also to to reach out and hopefully have a global harmonization and to basically um, having a, a, a better designed pediatric trial and with the same requirement for the company, I think that's really uh, beneficial to uh, to everybody. So that is also one of the um, the thinking behind uh, why the pediatric scientific working group can be a really great platform to bring together all the um, all the parties and you know, global, uh, you know, internationally regulators, companies, and you know, basically industries and academia, uh, and you know, um, and you know, FDA, well, the government, yeah. So part of that. So then bring everybody together to be uh, working towards the same goal. And also, I think, you know, right now I'm, I'm in the uh, you know, in pharmaceutical industry. So then a lot of actually what I see is also a lot of statisticians here typically don't have a lot of resources to support the pediatric development. I think this, the pediatric scientific working group is also build a community for people to share their knowledge with each other. I think that is also very helpful um, in that regard. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that one. Uh, yes, Richard, um, yeah, Jingjing is very right. 
Um, there's really not a lot of support in pediatric drug development uh, among statisticians. Again, as I have said earlier, um, it's a little bit complex. What, for example, what are endpoints that I need to put? Um, what are safety endpoints that you know has to be there? What are uh, analysis that I need to create? So it's not something that is very well known to most statisticians, and so having this particular support group to to help you know have to to, to gather like a, it's kind of like a repository for information either for complex innovative designs or even analysis of safety. It's really very helpful. And that's really why uh, a lot of people are actually very interested in this uh, working group. And, and, and what research topics, specific research topics, uh, is the group currently engaged in? I'm uh, one of those um, uh, research uh, streams, I think, you know, for looking at different uh, ways um, uh, for integrated adult results with the pediatric studies. So then, so we can make a proper inference in the pediatric setting. And that, I think that is a very, you know, I've, that's the, the topic basically is, I think, high on everybody's priority, <laughs> priority for everybody working in this area. Cause you know, what well, yeah. basically what, what uh, is a continuum of, uh, you know, what can be extrapolated, what cannot be extrapolated and to what degree can be extrapolated. So that certainly is like, you know, what factors can be considered. And, you know, and, and so I think, you know, uh, and different regulatory agencies, and they put out different, you know, guide. Uh, well, they put out guidances, and how harmonized or not harmonized there there are, you know, that is also the research topic that this particular work stream is interested in, and we'll look into that. And, and you know, and that's that's just one of the, the work stream that I'm working on. So Jingjing is the one leading that work stream uh, together with uh, some folks from Ile Lili as well as GSK on extrapolation. So we have another big subgroup on complex innovative designs and, and this is actually led by Rima Izam, uh, Satrajit uh, Roy Chuduri and uh, Skip Nelson. And, and again, they are looking at complex innovative designs um, that are being used in pediatric drug development, either where the development in adults and adolescents are actually simultaneous or when or when the cohorts are actually staggered a little bit or even in the oncology space as well where you can actually do master protocols. We do have a very unique special subgroups as well uh, uh, for which it, it, it's actually very active. And, and this special subgroup actually looks into uh, various things. So for example, one work stream within the special subgroup subgroup committee is on trying to create work or short courses or even sessions in conferences uh, in order to promote the you know the thing the the, the innovative uh, work that we are doing in pediatrics so that is just one we have a a group that is uh, working on safety uh, particularly short communications uh, just for example, you know, how do you integrate studies in adults and children in such a way that you are able to infer, um, you know, how do you infer safety in children given that, you know, it's usually a small trial or how can you actually use information from adults? Uh, knowing that extrapolation is not generally used in safety or, or even what are analysis that are actually done in children? you know, either from neurocognitive or growth and maturation, what are thresholds that are actually used. So 
So we have that subgroup. We also have a subgroup that just do, does a lot of surveys. Um, this is on, for example, what is really the extent of pediatric drug development that are being used? So we look at clinicaltrials.gov, we look at the approved PIPs that are published in the European Medicines Agency, just to kind of like see in each therapeutic area, this is generally how what are required. So how can we actually then use that information for for statisticians who are working in late phase clinical trial or clinical development uh, to, to to give them information what to do? Like these are um, some of the things that are actually being done across uh, and within the uh, therapeutic area. So those are just uh, a few, but um, we have a lot of things that are actually happening within special subgroups as well. And one other area that we are actually involved in currently is is trying to partner with, uh, at least because Mark Rothman and James Travis are, are within the FDA, there are actually scientific workshops that are being planned. And, you know, we wanted to actively be involved in that, but at least even in the planning stage or or in, in, in ensuring that um, maybe we can be part of the, or some of the members can be part uh, of, or, or share information on on what they have gathered uh, in, in the small subgroups uh, within the scientific working group. Uh, are there topics that you, you haven't discussed that you'll be spending more attention on in the near future? A lot of the topics, for example, in, in the scientific working group are actually driven by what is really happening outside as well. So, for example, what is current uh, recently or what, what is actually a hot topic recently is on the inclusion of adolescents in adult research. And that's kind of like, okay, so if you are supposed to be including adolescents in adult research, then what type of clinical trials are you going to be using? Or what type of analytical strategies are you going to be using? So it's kind of like driven by what is actually happening out there. And the other one that's actually, you know, kind of like in the works is on, we, we call it archetype. So uh, archetype of development. Um, what this actually does is that there are some drugs that are well established where adults um, the, the indication in adults, or at least some clinical trials in adults and children have been done and have shown that the efficacy are quite similar. Uh, there are also drugs that are, for example, have only been tried in adults and hasn't really been shown to be effective in children as well because they're fairly new. Uh, this is a, another archetype. And there is an archetype where Everything is just new. I mean, it's a, it's a new molecular entity. It's a new mechanism of action. And so there's really no information about so these, these kinds of archetypes actually um, influence how you, you create your clinical development plan for children. So that is just another area where it could possibly influence what potential research there will be among, uh, regarding clinical trial designs, as well as analytical methods uh, for which statisticians can be involved with. Yeah, uh, I agree with Meg on that. So, so just to be added a little bit on the oncology side, and I think, you know, there's um, right now uh, how to think early um, in using preclinical data will also be uh, very helpful because right now uh, many of the 
uh, oncology area will require the combination strategies. You know, um, the single drug right now in oncology may not be working well enough. So then how can we develop a combination strategy early uh, without many clinical trials that is also uh, very important in this area. And so some of the thinking along that line will be using you know, possible master protocols or platform trials on that to screening the combination um, and as much as possible. And also for uh, many of the the small patient populations, you know, in the rare disease, uh, were like in the pediatrics, some, many of those uh, disease registries, how to set, uh, you know, uh, natural history data collections, I think that will also be very helpful um, to guide the research and, and drug development in that areas. There's many um, uh, ideas that's in the talks, but not, not much in practice yet. So I think, you know, that will be a very uh, great um uh, area to be uh, focused on uh, in the near future. And I, I was also thinking, you know, um, for pediatrics and, and, you know, rare disease in general, I think, you know, also applied to rare disease is to involve and engage the patient advocacy group uh, into the drug development. Because I think it typically um, is, is, is more difficult to recruit patients and, uh, for the pediatric trial. So I think involvement of the parents or the caregivers into the early on into the drug development would really be um, helpful for that. And then also, I think, you know, for, I think Mac mentioned earlier in, in the, in the um, podcast about the avoid duplication. So well, one area to help in that is to have an early integration or early alignment between the drug developer and also the, uh, the investigators, you know, in certain, you know, um, academia centers that will be very helpful because, you know, the, they can basically um, talk about this early on and put them on the same page for the feasibility of the studies and who are the right centers and who are the right investigators to, to conduct those trials so that they can avoid uh, duplication um, for that. And, and what activities does the working group have planned to engage the larger statistical community? Yeah, so within the special subgroups, kind of like committee uh, of the scientific working group, we have like, uh, we, we create some short communications uh, that, that can be published generally um, to engage the broader statistical community, and not even just the broader statistical community, but, you know, the cross-functional clinical trials community. So we wanted to, we are uh, actually working something on that one. So for example, the first short communication that uh, we wanted to create is on, you know, what does the 30, the 30 years of pediatric drug development look like? What have we achieved? And, and you know, how are we going to go forward? Since um, it's, it's really been about uh, three decades uh, since the pediatric rule uh, was initiated back in 1994. So that's just one. Um, we are actually, again, within the special subgroups of the scientific working group, we're also working on the, our web page so that um, uh, there will be a repository of information for which um, uh, people or statisticians can, can go find uh, uh, information on, let's say, innovative designs, information on extrapolation, and information on how to integrate studies uh, particularly when you're analyzing safety. Uh, we are also creating uh, infographics because we wanted to be very active or at least active in social media as well, just so that, you know, it, it kind of like 
creates uh, some noise on, on what the group is actually doing and, and uh, engages the, the a broader community uh, on pediatric drug development. So those are just examples of things that the scientific working group is actually planning this year. And last question, with, with the efforts of the working group, what, what impacts do you hope to achieve in, in the near future? The vision really for, for the scientific working group is to be able to reduce the lag time between the adult labeling, or at least the time when the, when the drug is labeled in adults and the time that the drug is actually labeled in children. So currently, as I, as I have said earlier, it was, it's about eight to nine years. We wanted that to be shorter. In fact, the goal is to have simultaneous approval of adults and children. So in order to reduce off-label use and in order for uh, an appropriate labeling uh, of drugs in children, or at least drugs in children are appropriately studied. studied. So that's, that's kind of like the broad goal for, for the group. So that's, that, that's really what my hope is. And I'm pretty sure that's what Jing Jing's hope as well, that we are able right. to reduce the amount of time or the lag time between adult approval and children, uh, approval of the drug in children. Yes, definitely, I would agree on that. And also, uh, you know, we were hoping we can approve uh, more good number of drugs, that good drugs in children, right, as well. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, um, um, just to follow along the line, I think, you know, it's really, um, I hope, um, my, my personal hope, I think, you know, I think it, and as Mac just mentioned, there can be more statisticians' involvement, uh, more collaboration among different stakeholders, like with the patient advocacy group, with other mm -hmm. uh, international regulators. I think, you know, it's better understanding this, um, the, uh, the drug development pediatrics and better, better designs to generate convincing evidence. And the other thing that, you know, my hope is is the children paving the way for innovative clinical trials and innovative analytics. And that's been always the case, even for the Kefauver Harris Act, uh, 1962, even the 1937 Food Drugs and Cosmetics Act. All of those uh, major legislations are actually triggered by something that happened in children. So, you know, we wanted, we wanted that in so doing, you know, reducing the number of years from the approval of the drug in adults to children, that it also creates a, um, a more demand or, or support for innovative clinical trials as well as innovative design. Well, it sound, certainly sounds exciting, and I want to thank you both for your time today. Megan, Jingjing, I, I wish you success with your, your work with the Pediatric Scientific Working Group. And thank you very much, Richard, for inviting us again. And I'd like to thank uh, Jing Jing uh, on this journey. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Meg. I'm, I'm really glad that we, um, I will be able to talk with you about this. And there you have it, Episode 86 on the Pediatric Scientific Working Group. Do you have an idea for a podcast? Of course you do. Are you part of a scientific working group that wants to show off their research? Do you want to discuss a new book you've published? Want to dig deep an important topic that may not get the appropriate bandwidth at conferences? Let's talk about it. Send me an email at richard.c.zinc at gmail.com. That's richard.c.zinc at gmail.com. In the meantime, practice social distancing, wear your mask, and keep you and your loved ones safe. Until next time.